Well, it, we come to our second uh, in a series, an Advent series. There'll be four total sermons leading up to Christmas. Uh, this is our second, and we're focusing on the theme of um, joy in Advent. Joy in Advent. Last week, we looked at joy in the promise. Joy in the promise. Um, we saw that with regard to Isaiah, uh, as he prophesied in the time of the kings when they were looking at uh, the coming Assyrians, uh, and they were worried and concerned, as even they were having civil strife in Judah. And he reminded them that there was uh, not only a virgin who would give birth, uh, but that this birth would be the Son of God. We looked at the wonder and joy of Jesus in, in the promise. Now, as we continue in our series, we're going to be looking at the joy as that dawn is breaking. So if that was sort of joy in the darkness, this is joy as the dawn is breaking. As we, as we look at uh, the birth narrative in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, and particularly we're going to be looking at Mary and Elizabeth. If you'll remember, Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist, um, and this at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we, we learn about how miraculously um, Elizabeth, who is barren, uh, is promised to have a child, John, who would be the forerunner of Jesus. This was promised to Zechariah, the priest, the high priest, uh, by the angel Gabriel. And we're going to be coming in right after, right on the tail of that, as that promise is given to Zechariah, and Zechariah isn't certain... Um, that he can be sure. He, well, how can I know this is true? And so the, 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 the angel uh, Gabriel says, you'll know this is true because you're going to be mute until this baby is born. Um, and we're following right on the heels of this. Elizabeth is, is at her home. She's, she has taken five months to just kind of consider the reality that she's bearing uh, this forerunner, this prophet, John. And now we meet Mary. Uh, the mother of Jesus. And that's the text we're going to be looking at. Uh, it's found for you in your bulletins, Luke chapter 1, 26 to 45. Uh, I also want to encourage you uh, to consider the beginning of our uh, bulletin. You'll notice at the very beginning, uh, we, we, for a call um, to worship, we read a portion of um, Mary's song, the, the Magnificat, and I'll be touching on that as well. So I'll be referring back to that. Uh, just, just for your heads up, but uh, we're going to be looking at Luke 1, 26 to 45. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever." And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be, uh, the, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who has been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In days, or as it says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into those, the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for Mary and for Elizabeth, for their faith, for their hope, for their joy, for their humility. Lord, I ask that you would help us to marvel at Jesus as they do. Marvel at you and rejoice. Uh, For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids. There's a few of you kids out there. Um, Kids, kids, I see you eyes up here for just a minute because this is an important time of year. And I want to ask you guys a question. And that question is, what at this time of year causes you to wonder? As you come up to Christmas... And as all the things are happening around the house, maybe you've put up a Christmas tree, maybe there's lights on the house, maybe you have music playing in the the house, maybe you go to a Christmas concert, maybe you go Christmas shopping. But what of all of it, as you approach Christmas Day, causes you to wonder, to be in awe and amazement? What are those things? I always, as a child, I think... I just, there was a sense of wonder as you would see snowfall. Do you ever get that feeling? When you see the snowfall and it just happens to be leading up to Christmas and there's this wonder and amazement. I always found Christmas Eve a particularly wondrous time. Maybe that is for you as well, where you would would go late at night to church. Maybe you did this. Maybe didn't, but I would. I'd go to church in the evening, and we would hear the story of uh, the birth of Jesus, and we would sing hymns. And towards the end of the service, you know what we used to do is we used to, we used to dim the lights, and we'd all take a little candle, and we'd light the candle, and we'd sing Silent Night. And there was always a wonder to it as a child. I, I don't know. Maybe that was for you as well, if you've experienced something like that. There's all sorts of wonder associated with Christmas. 
But there really is just one item of wonder uh, that, that, that Mary has here in our text. Um, and that is a wonder at God. She wonders at God. And I, and I would say the same for Elizabeth. They wonder at God. And I want to look at that. I want to explore that this morning. The wonder of God. Particularly, I want us to consider what it means for us to humbly wonder and trust and rejoice in God, our Savior. We'll see this beautiful song at the end that Mary sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And that's, that's my hope that this, this morning as we, as we look into this this text that we would, like these women, humbly wonder, trust, and rejoice in God our Savior. Now, there's, we're going to look at this in just a few parts, um, really just two parts. First, I want us to see the wonder of God in this regard. There is nothing impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. We hear this declaration from Gabriel in our text, and it is spectacular to to think on. It's a wondrous thing. Nothing is impossible with God. But that that has very specific connotation here in the text. What are the things that God is doing? And we'll look at those. And then the second thing I wanted to consider as we consider that nothing is impossible to God is is, is that what does that cause in us? What is, what is the, the reaction then for us? And I want us to consider what it means for us to wonder, what it means for us to be humble, what it means for us to have faith, what it means for us to know the blessing of God and to rejoice. So as we consider that nothing is impossible with God, I want to consider what it means then for us to have that humble trust in the Lord with wonder. So that's where we're headed this morning. But first, to begin, uh, I want us to consider that nothing is impossible to God. I want to set the scene a little bit. I've already given you some of the background. Zechariah uh, was the high priest. uh, And at the beginning, which we did not read, uh, he meets the angel of the Lord. I told you how he was uh, told that his wife, who was old, uh, was going to give birth. She was barren. And he asked the question, uh, how do I know that this is possible? Uh, keep that in the back of your mind. Um, and so he's given a sign of being mute. Um, and Elizabeth is treasuring these things in her own heart and spends five, five months or so to herself. It says, the text says at the end of the section, it says, And after these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. That is the fact that she was barren. So that's, the, that's what is leading up to our text. But then it says, in the sixth month. And, and the reason I point that out is because I think this section about Mary is very much tied to the section about Elizabeth. So, the time when Elizabeth was keeping to herself has now come to an end. She, is, she has a baby. She's about six months along. Uh, doctors and people who have given birth recently, I don't remember the trimester system, but you can probably tell me uh, which trimester that is. Um, but the baby's 
you know, showing. And you have uh, Elizabeth getting excited about her birth. And now we meet Mary. Mary is Elizabeth's cousin. Mary lives in Nazareth. She is nobody. She is uh, a young girl, probably 12 to 13, betrothed to be married. She's a virgin. She is uh, not expected to be pregnant either, just as a barren woman probably wasn't expected to be pregnant for different reasons. This young girl should not, in the world's minds, be pregnant. Uh, She is from Nazareth, which is in Galilee. And if you'll remember from last week, we looked at the promise in Isaiah and how uh, the promise was going to come to Galilee of the nations. This was part of the promise that there would be this one who would come. And we referred to the fact that it would be born to a virgin. And so here we should be expecting something. We have all this information. Uh, The barrenness of Elizabeth, who's now going to have a baby, and a virgin who's about to give birth in Galilee. Now, again, barrenness in the Old Testament, if if, if a woman was barren uh, and then uh, had a baby later, is usually a very significant event. And you can go back and look at the Old Testament uh, stories. One in particular, Hannah was praying to the Lord, praying to the Lord. She was old, she was barren, and eventually she had uh, was given a child who became a great prophet and priest, uh, Samuel. So just to give you an idea, those that we should have some expectations about what's going to happen. That's sort of setting the scene. Um, the next thing that I want to think about, though, the very first thing, when we think about nothing is impossible with God, so barren woman, virgin birth, the, 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 those two should be uh, highlights God is going to do something that seems impossible. But the first thing that I wanted to note is not the virgin birth. It's not that a barren woman gives birth. But the first thing that seems impossible that we see in our text is the favor of God. The favor of God is not impossible. Now, maybe that seems obvious to you. But I want us to look here. He says to Mary, the angel comes in the sixth month. uh, This angel of the Lord comes, Gabriel, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And immediately following this, Mary is greatly troubled, not because she sees an angel. Usually when someone sees an angel, They're deeply afraid. That was Joseph. Joseph was afraid. He saw the angel. He was afraid. But when it came to Mary, it says, the text says, she was troubled, greatly troubled, because she didn't understand the saying. And she was trying to discern what kind of greeting this was. What do you mean that I'm going to know the favor of the Lord, that I am the favored one, that the Lord is going to be present with me? What do you mean by that? angel. And I, and I was wrestling with this, and we wrestled with this a bit in our community group. Why was this a troubling thing to Mary? And as we thought about it, and as I've thought about it in my own heart, uh, why was it significant that she was 
being favored? Well, first of all, Mary wasn't much. We've already noted that she was a young girl living in the backwaters of Nazareth. You'll remember that the people would say of Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? So she's, she's a woman. She's a young girl. She is from a backwater town. And this is in great contrast to Zechariah. Who is Zechariah? Zechariah was the high priest, and, and his wife Elizabeth would have been a prominent person. They lived down in the hills of Judea. They, they were people who would have been movers and shakers. Who was Mary? Nobody. Why would the Lord show favor on Mary? It greatly troubled her. But it's repeated again, even after she says, you know, she was, it says that she was greatly troubled. The angel says to her again, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God twice now. You've found favor with God. And it begs the question, why? Why was she favored? Why was Mary favored? Was, was there something very special, unique? Was she perfect? Was, was she somehow uh, righteous? Was she without sin? What was it about her? And just to be clear, the word favor here, the word favor is just the word grace. That's all it is. It's the word grace. And what is grace? Well, grace is unmerited favor. It is the favor of the Lord that we do not deserve. And so Mary is experiencing this reality. Why are you showing me favor? She was insignificant. She was a sinner. The only thing she had going for her is that she was marrying a guy in the line of David and that she was a virgin. And so through her, the prophecies of old might be fulfilled. There is that reality. But other than that, there's nothing particular about Mary. The Lord chose her. Why? Because of her grace, of his grace. And I want to suggest to you, grace, if we really think about it, if we take our time and we stop and say, what is grace? We sing about it, amazing grace. We, we talk about grace. But grace is something that should not be possible. It shouldn't be. How can a holy, righteous God... Look on a world of people who've spurned him, who've rejected him, who've rebelled against him, and then he goes and shows favor to them. It doesn't make sense. And so it was for Mary. She couldn't grasp why God would show favor to her. Yet the favor, the grace of God is not impossible. Quite the opposite. What we learn about the character of God is that God is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and mercy. He is a gracious God. He is holy. And he doesn't let the wicked go unpunished. But he is gracious. And he does not leave us in our low estate. The favor of God is not impossible because it's part of his character. But there's something else here that is not impossible. And that is The presence of God. The presence of God is not impossible. Notice here, not only does he say the favor 
calls her greetings, O favored one. But he also says, the Lord is with you. See, her trouble isn't only that she would be favored, but but, but that the favor of the Lord meant the presence of God. Now, you'll have to understand something about the presence of God. Uh, If you go back to the Old Testament, um, the presence of God was a terrifying thing, right? When you get to Mount Sinai and the glory cloud comes down and God thunders from the glory cloud, the people of God are deathly afraid. The presence of God is too much. God says to Moses, don't let anybody up into this cloud. Don't, Don't let anybody come near lest they be destroyed. The presence of God was not something to be trifled with. This is is why Isaiah is undone when he is sort of given a vision of the throne room of God. He's He's a man who is completely helpless and undone. Back in Exodus, you'll remember the golden calf story, right? The the story when Moses was up on the mountain and the people of God were scared of the presence of God. And so they decide, Aaron, why don't you give us a new mediator, a new God? Why don't we we make a a golden calf? Um, And so they, they make this calf and they bow down to that. It seems safer than worshiping this terrifying God over here. And so they, they, they obviously anger the Lord. Moses comes down from the mountain, and uh, the, the Lord has seen what they've done. And, and Moses goes down, and he sees, and of course, he smashes the, the tablets. And the Lord's presence comes. And what happens when the Lord's presence come, p- present come? Well, uh, judgment. How can a holy God dwell with an unholy people? If we were to go through all of Scripture, this would be the question. How does a holy God dwell with an unholy people? And and that question is for us. How does God dwell with us? So when Mary heard those words, that the Lord is with you, there's something terrifying. There's something terrifying. It's interesting in that Exodus account of the golden calf. Moses pleads, right? He goes up to the mountain and says, Lord, have mercy on your people. And you know what his plea is? That they would be present. That God would be present with his people. That he would dwell in their midst. That he would go up to the land of promise with them. There was, there was three times that Moses went up. And after the second time... Uh, the Lord said, you know what? You guys go ahead. I'll let you go up to the land of promise. I'll even send an angel before you. And Moses says, that's not enough. We need your presence, Lord. So there's this reality. Yes, God's presence is danger. It's warning. It's, it's, it's fear. It's, it's the holiness of God. And yet there's another reality. The lack of the presence of God is worse. I don't know if worse is the right word. But it's the only solution to our problem. is God dwelling with us. And so Mary is told by the angel Gabriel that she would bear a son and conceive in her womb and he, she would call his name Jesus, and he would be great, and he would be called Son 
of the Most High. There's no hiding from this text. Mary understood that what was being described here was the thing that had been promised many times throughout Scripture, that there would be a Messiah. Mary understood that what, what the Lord was saying to her through this angel Gabriel was that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. God with his people. The Lord. God present. And his name was to be Jesus. Savior. Elsewhere in scripture, he was to be called Emmanuel. God with us. Luke highlights the impossibilities. Birth of uh, a child to a barren woman. Birth of a child to a virgin. But really, those were just symbols. Those were signs to say, what you think is impossible, God has made possible. God can dwell with his people and save his people and deliver them and be with them and call them to himself. What we think of as impossible, God sees as possible. You see, God throughout the Old Testament, yes, said, I I can't, he told Moses, you know, you can't see my face. But then he walks by him and says, but let me show you my backside. Let me show you my glory. Let me show you my presence. And then at the very end of the book of Exodus, after the covenant is renewed, you have this picture of the, the glory cloud descending on the temple and filling it up. And this is the connection here in our text. Thank you, Isaac, for this connection. You have this picture here where it says, the angel Mary says, how can this be? She doesn't ask, how do I know this to be true? Like Zechariah, we'll come to faith in just a minute. But she says, how can this be? She is in wonder and awe that God can dwell in the midst of his people. She is, she is amazed that God would dwell with her, that, that she would be blessed, that she would have the presence of God even in her womb. And the angel answered her and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Another way to put that is the Spirit would fill Same language of overshadow is the same language of that Spirit of God in the great Theophany coming down and filling the temple. And of course, all that is a picture of God dwelling in the midst of his people, graciously delivering them and saving them. Now, our problem is that we don't think of God as able to be present with us. Now, you might say, what do you mean? We believe in the incarnation. We believe Jesus came and he dwelt among us. We believe that he sends his spirit. But I want to suggest to you something. I think sometimes it's our nature to flee from God when we sin. In fact, I would say that is our, our natural inclination. It's, it was the inclination of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Adam and Eve, they sin, they hide. What about you? What about you? And I think we do this. I think we, when we sin, when, we, when, when our nature is to say, I'm not worthy. I want to get away from God. I need to flee from his presence. I need to get as far away from God as I possibly can. 
And we convince ourselves that if he sees us, he's going to destroy us. And so what do we do? We avoid prayer. We avoid God's word. We avoid worship. We avoid coming together in fellowship. You know what I'm talking about. When you get in those situations where you say, hey, how does God, how's God, a holy God, able to dwell with a sinner like me? It's better if I just run and I just hide. But God's presence is gracious. We forget that. That there's grace in his presence. Plus, as the psalmist says, who can flee from the Lord? Not one of us. Not one of us. This is why the angel says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary. I will be with you. Nothing is impossible with God. So what is Mary's response? Mary's response to the wonder that God is both gracious, that he shows favor, and he shows his favor by being present with his people to save them. Her response is wonder, humility, faith, and joy. I'd just like to notice, this isn't just Mary either, is it? It's Elizabeth. So we're going to kind of lump these two together, talk about both of them, and their wonder, their humility, their faith, and their joy. Just notice Mary throughout. <clears throat> There's a distinction here between her and Zechariah. Zechariah was, uh, he was a man who was prominent, and when the Lord, through the angel Gabriel, said, you're going to have a child, his question wasn't, how is this going to happen? His question, how can I know that this is true? You see the difference? How can I know that this is going to happen? Whereas, whereas Mary says, how is this going to happen? There's humility and trust. A recognition, not only that she's not worthy, but that what God is saying is true. And her wonder and question is, how? It's a question of faith. Amazement. How can I know, is Zechariah, and how will this be? Not will this be, but how will this be, is Mary's response. Humble faith. And then he, she's told, right? She's told exactly how this will be, that she's going to conceive a son. She's told of Elizabeth's child. And her response then, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Not, whoa, Lord, this is too much for me to bear. I'm only a 13-year-old child. Um, But, Lord, I'm your servant. Humble faith. Let it be according to your word. And then, of course, she goes to visit Elizabeth. This is her first reaction. She hears the news of Elizabeth, and her, thing, her first thing to do is she arose and she went with haste into the hill country to the town in Judah. Uh, this is also faith. Uh, to run off as a young woman, uh, this would not have been a common thing. We don't know if she went with anybody else, but anyway, she went, and she ran to visit her cousin, a much older cousin, and she was 
overjoyed to share in the joy and wonder. And we see the humility of Elizabeth. Notice here that what Elizabeth says. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Well, just take a minute and think about this. Elizabeth, prominent member of the the. the, the the elite of Jerusalem. She was a high priest's wife in the line of Aaron. She was a high flyer. She was older. She was uh, sort of a matronly figure, figure, even if she wasn't technically a mother. She was somebody who would have been prominent in that world. And yet, here comes Mary, this young child, to her door uh, from Nazareth. She's a cousin, but she's a much younger cousin. And she comes to the door, and the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth, and she says, I'm not worthy. It's a humility. She says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's in wonder and awe. Both at the Lord, we'll come to this in just a minute in her own faith, um, but also at the fact that Mary would come and visit her and bless her. There's humility. But there's also wonder. They wonder together. In fact, Mary wonders, as we've already seen, and now Elizabeth wonders. Uh, There is wonder at what is being revealed. Notice here that Elizabeth has a baby in her womb that leaps for joy, John, John, uh, and that she knew it. Most likely, of course, the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Somehow told her, because I know that babies in the womb can kind of kick and feel like they're leaping. I've not experienced it, but I've been told and I've sort of pictured it. (laughs) But this was distinct. This was different. Mary comes and John leaps for joy. And Elizabeth, as she's carried by the Holy Spirit, she is inspired here by the Spirit. She exclaims with a loud cry. Blessed are you among women. She is in wonder and awe at the fact that the Lord of glory was in Mary's womb. And then there's another piece. So it's not just humility and wonder in Mary and Elizabeth, but there's wonder in John. I I don't know how to make sense of this, but clearly it was said earlier by the prophet or by the angel um, that, that this would be uh, the case. Uh, that the, the, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived of a son in, this, in the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And, and then uh, earlier uh, in the in the in the promise to Zechariah, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John and he and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine, etc. because he's going to be uh, a Nazarite uh, and he'll turn many and it says, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's 
womb. How is this possible? Point one, nothing is impossible with God. What does that cause? Humility and joy. What do we know of John when, he, when Jesus finally comes and John is baptizing at the, at, at, at the Jordan River? When Jesus comes, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, May I decrease that he might increase. And even here, as he is in his mother's womb, he leaps for joy because he knows that his Savior is present. All right. I want to take just a minute and consider and apply uh, some of these things. We have the faith of Mary, the faith of Elizabeth, the, the, the wonder and humility of all of them, and John included in his own faith and hope. So what does it mean for us? I think that as we see Christ, as we wonder at his character, as we look at God and say, God, nothing is impossible with you. That, God, you are the God who, for whom grace is not impossible, that you could love a sinner like me. As we look at the Lord Jesus Christ and we say, not only do you love me in your grace, but you dwell with me a broken sinner, we can't help but wonder in awe at the, 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 the love of our Savior and the, the beauty and amazement that He would love sinners like us. It causes blessing and joy. And this is where I'm going to close. I want us to just consider uh, this little uh, reflection of Mary as we consider the incarnation and the impossibility of it and the wonder of it. Mary sings, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why does she magnify the Lord? Why does she rejoice in God her Savior? For he looks on her humble estate. For behold, from all generations, she will be called blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, but he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sends away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary is overwhelmed with the power of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the presence of God, the salvation of God through Christ. Friends, as we come to this time of year, as we consider the incarnation and the wonder of Jesus, let us rejoice, for we have a God for whom nothing is impossible, for we have a God who has grace for sinners and who is present with his people. Let's pray.